0: Hebrews 13:7 through9. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the presence of your spirit here. We thank you for the power of your spirit among us. Lord, we ask you to anoint this meeting, to move mightily in this meeting, in this next these next few minutes together as we look into your word. We ask you to open up our hearts to receive from you, to learn from you, to be changed by your word. God, we ask you to be our teacher. We ask you to add your power to your word and to your message. God, we ask you to honor your word, and to make it effective in our lives this morning. We don't want this to be a waste of time. God, we want Your Word to accomplish Your intended purpose in our lives. So we ask, God, that by the power of Your Spirit, Your Word would go deep into our hearts this morning and that You would encourage and strengthen and correct and do whatever needs to be done in each heart and each soul that is here this morning. God, we come before You and we are here to listen. We bow before you. We take, we take a place of, of submission before you. We're not here to challenge you or to challenge your word. We're, we're here to bow our hearts and our minds and our lives before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are people... In the church, and I don't mean just this church, I mean in the church, okay? There are people in the church who are like a rock. They're not perfect, but they are faithful people. They're faithful to Christ, and they're faithful to His church. And through the ups and downs of life, as you observe their lives, you just see that they hold fast to God their hearts are focused on drawing near to God through Jesus. They consider this access to God, to God's presence that we have through Jesus, they consider that their greatest blessing in life. But sadly, there are those in the church who seem to be doing just fine and then something comes up and just like that, they're gone. They no longer have much of an appetite for God. They let go of their confidence in God. Something other than Jesus becomes their focus. And instead of drawing near to God, they drift away. They neglect meeting with other Christians. And the blessings that we have in Jesus don't seem to mean that much to them anymore. Several years ago, Cindy handed me a picture, just handed me a picture, and it was of seven or eight men who had attended a men's retreat that we called a men's day at the lake about 12 years ago. And she, she, as she handed me this picture, she said, if you want to know why ministry is hard, take a look at this picture. And it took me only a few seconds to see what she meant. Because within only a few years of when that picture was taken, every one of those guys were gone. And except for Denny DeGroat who had passed away, every other guy in that picture had drifted away from God. One had been unfaithful to his wife. One had gone back to a dark and sinful past. One had massive family and kid problems but stopped going to church and did not turn to God for the answers. Another one's wife was unfaithful to him and I met with him sometime after that and his faith was crushed and broken. Uh, he moved, moved away and I really don't know what happened after that. Now there were, other, there were several other men at the retreat who have remained faithful to Christ and some of them are still around even in our church But all but one in that photo, who was Denny, had turned back in some degree or another from following Christ. And I will never forget the profound sense of sorrow I felt for those men as I looked at that picture that evening. This very real problem of departure from the faith is what the book of Hebrews says. Addresses And that's why all the warnings to don't neglect your, this salvation, don't drift away, don't become dull of hearing. It's a book of strong warnings about drifting away from Christ. It's a book urging us to hold fast our confidence firm to the end. And in this closing chapter, we are given three powerful exhortations. To make us stable and strong, to help us to remain true to the Lord and to finish our race. There's a verse in Acts that says that Paul, I can't remember if it's Paul and Sinus or Paul and Barnabas, but it says they went back to the to the churches and they encouraged them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And that is kind of what the book of Hebrews is all about. So the first exhortation to make us stable and strong, help us to remain true to the Lord and finish our race is this. Imitate the people, imitate the faith of people who have walked faithfully with God. Imitate the faith of of those people who have walked faithfully with God. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, these leaders that the author of Hebrews was referring to are probably those who helped establish many of these Jewish Christians in their faith in Christ. They were people who had run their race. They had held fast their faith firm to the end. And so the author is telling the the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians he's writing to, to be like those people, or to to be like them in their faith. And he said the outcome, as as you consider the outcome of their way of life, that should motivate you to do that. As you consider how their lives turned out, that should stir you up or motivate you to imitate their faith. Everyone's life has an outcome. And you can see it. Many people live in a way that does not turn out very well. In other words, they don't have a good outcome. They do not hold fast to God. They withdraw from other believers They become enamored with the world or sin or fall for some other scheme of the devil and the outcome of their lives is a kind of spiritual shipwreck. Don't imitate that kind of faith. Imitate those who led you to God. Imitate those who have spoken God's word to you. Imitate those who have proven results of a life lived by faith. Paul wrote to Timothy Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, and endurance. Timothy knew all about the outcome of Paul's life because he watched it and he considered it. I mean, Timothy was doing what the author of Hebrews is telling us to do. Consider the outcome of people who walk faithfully with God like Paul. And the kinds of things that Timothy saw in Paul are the kinds of things you see in people who walk faithfully with God. You see purpose. You see sound teaching, you see love and patience and endurance. You look at their personal lives and you see peace and stability. You see joy and contentment in God. You see that they are interested in sowing the word of God into other people's lives. As, as verse 8 says, they, they led you and they spoke the word of God to you. Cindy and I ran across a quote, actually I ran across it and shared it with her by J.C. Ryle that said, the measure of a man's greatness is his usefulness to souls. And, And we love that. You know, people who walk with God want to be useful to other people's souls. And these are the kind of leaders the author of Hebrews said to remember and to imitate, those who led you, those who spoke the word of God to you, those who were interested in your soul, those who were interested in drawing you near to Christ. And if you imitate the faith of these kind of people, you will be stronger in your faith, and it will guard you from falling into the kind of spiritual lethargy and dullness that the writer of Hebrews talks about. It really does matter what kind of people you set before your eyes it really does and i'm glad the kids had their class today but i almost wish they were in here because for kids it matters what kind of people they set before their eyes as who they look to and follow and their hero heroes there's an old saying tell me who your friends are and I will tell you who you are. And there's there's a lot of truth in that. Warren Buffett said something very similar, and I I don't think he meant it in a spiritual context, but it certainly applies. He said, if you tell me who your heroes are, I will tell you how you're going to turn out. It's really important in life to have the right heroes. That's actually the rest of Warren Buffett's quote. Who are the people you look to? Who are the people that you remember? Who are the people that you're considering? Who are the people that you're thinking about that you, you know you want to you want to be like them. You want to be you want to be like their faith or follow or imitate their faith. Do not be deceived. People who go on with God pay attention to men and women of faith. Men and women of faith from the Bible, men and women of faith from history, and men and women of faith from the present day that surround them. So that's the first key to help keep you steadfast and strong and to protect you from getting off track and falling into spiritual lethargy. Pay attention to faithful men and women second do not fall for new or strange spiritual ideas because Jesus never changes verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever do not be a led do not be led away or carried away by diverse and strange teachings I have heard that verse since I was a young person that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think when I studied this passage for the first time, I got the connection. You know, in the Bible, there's, in the original, when the Bible is written, there's not verses. <laughs> it just flows right together. And the line of reasoning is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, do not be led away by new and strange, diverse teachings. <laughs> Jesus doesn't change. Therefore, the message about him will not change either. Yes, Jesus came to earth. He became a man. He ascended. He went to heaven. In that way, I suppose you could say he changed, but his character and his purpose have never changed and never will change. The Jesus who was in the beginning with the Father that we read about in John chapter 1, is the same Jesus who came into the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus today is the same Jesus we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You often hear people, particularly in an unhappy marriage, say something like, well, he is not the same person I married, or she is not the same person I married. No one will ever be able to say that about Jesus. Jesus won't ever become different in some way to you. He will never treat you different. Jesus will never stop loving you. The only thing that will ever change about the love of Jesus is your power to grasp it. Paul said, I pray that you may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The only thing that's ever going to change about Christ's love is just your power to grasp it. And we need prayer that we would... It's so great, it's so perfect, the love of Jesus. Jesus was committed to your salvation yesterday, and he's committed to saving you today and forever. He will never stop interceding for you. He will never stop being your advocate before the Father. Jesus won't ever change his mind about choosing you. Jesus will never decide to leave you. He will never decide he doesn't want you. He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. His words, His teaching, His message, His commandments will never change. The revelation that He gave to His apostles and the writers of Scripture never need updating or revising or corrected. They stand firm forever. They will never change because Jesus never changes. And says and since Jesus will never change do not be carried away by diverse and strange teaching. Strange teaching is teaching that is not found in the Bible. Very simple. Strange teaching is teaching that is not found in the scripture. It is teaching that you will not find taught by the apostles. When you hear something When you hear a teaching that does not sound anything like what Paul or Peter or James or John or Jesus taught, watch out. Strange teaching is any teaching that carries you away from Christ. The author says there are diverse teachings, meaning lots of different kinds or various kinds of teaching that will carry you away from Christ. These Jewish Christians who were being written to in Hebrews were tempted to go back to the Jewish laws about foods or to Jewish sacrifices. But there are many other kinds of teachings that will pull your attention away from Jesus. There are many kinds of teaching that will pull your attention away from Christ as the basic solution to your sin and brokenness. And Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. The old, old song that Cindy and I love, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is no other. So any teaching that, that tends to direct your focus away from Jesus, again, watch out, be careful. Strange teaching always directs people to something other than Jesus. The unmistakable error in all new teaching and strange teaching is that Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough to heal your soul, not enough to forgive your sins, not enough to release you from your sins, not enough to give you joy not enough to free you from anxiety and fear or addiction, not enough to bring you the full experience of God. You need this new concept or new teaching to help you get what you really need and without realizing it, you're focused on this new idea and you're carried away from Christ. Sometimes these teachings have to do with a new way of experiencing God and we all want to experience God and the scripture has given us a sound and solid powerful clear avenue of of experiencing God to the f- to the fullest um, sometimes these teachings say if you pray using a certain method or you follow certain spiritual practices you can enter a higher level of spirituality but Hebrews tells us that God has done everything for us to come directly and boldly into his presence through Jesus. And the way that we experience God is that we draw near to him through Jesus. It's that simple and it's that profound. And Jesus cleared the path. He opened the door. Hebrews 10, 22 uh, this is in the NLT, which I don't usually quote from, but it really communicates this so clearly. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. You don't you don't need anything other than Jesus to contribute to your status with God. You don't need anything other than Jesus to give you full and free access to God. Jesus has done it all. He has opened heaven to us. He's opened the throne of God to us. And we have access right to God, right to the throne of God for grace and mercy to help, as it says. A lot of strange teaching comes into the church from the world. Okay, you remember I said that Strange teaching, it's, it's varied or diverse. A lot of strange teaching comes into the church from the world. Our culture exerts enormous, and I mean enormous pressure on us to accept its ideas and values. The news media and Hollywood and our schools and just the social pressure demand allegiance to their belief system. And sadly, many Christians are carried away from Christ by these doctrines of the world because there's just so much pressure to accept them and follow them. Many Christians have been deceived into believing that the world has the answers to the big issues in people's lives. There's a kind of, of belief out there that I pick up a lot And this belief says, Christ may be able to get us to heaven someday, but science, medicine, psychology, or politics have the real answers to human problems and the needs of the human soul. And so for some, the the wisdom of the world, the, the, the world's knowledge becomes their real authority and their practical God and they are carried away from Christ by the messages of the world. So the second key that we're sharing this morning, the second key to a lifelong faithfulness to Jesus is keeping yourself in the faith that was delivered to us through the apostles of Jesus and not fall for strange things teaching third nourish your heart on grace nourish your heart on God's grace not on the false promise of external religion or foods or the false promises of the world verse 9 it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them It is knowing God's grace. It is delighting and finding your joy in God's grace. It is feeding your soul on God's grace and being strengthened by God's grace that will keep you strong to the end. And it will keep you from getting into error. Because if your heart is full, if your heart is just you know, full of the grace of Jesus and you're, you're, you're caught up with that and you're happy about that and your soul is, is satisfied with that and you're continuing, as it says in Scripture, you're continuing in the grace of God, you don't need to go anywhere else. You've found it. <laughs> you're, you're happy in God. You're, you're satisfied in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God designed your heart to be strengthened by His grace and goodness. That's where you go. When your heart has need, that's where you go. You go to God and to His goodness and grace. Inward strength, happiness, courage, hope and joy all come from God's grace working in your heart, strengthening your heart. God, God's answer really to all the needs of God your heart is grace, and then he talks about nourish your hearts on grace or feed your hearts on grace. Be strengthened by grace, not on uh, not on foods. Eating certain foods may I'm not going to promise that it will, but eating certain foods may help you live longer but they have no spiritual value. Okay, the Bible is clear on that. Rules about food or drink or, or, or any external regulation like Paul says in Colossians of don't handle this, don't you know, do this, don't do that sort of thing. Rules about food or drink or any exter- external regulation never helped anyone have a closer walk with God. 1 Corinthians 8.8 says that. Food does not bring us closer to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. That's pretty plain, I would say. Pretty plain. And it seems obvious, and yet Christians fall for this delusion all the time that if, if they go back to Jewish Dietary rules or something else having to do with food or diet that it'll somehow somehow there's some kind of spiritual enhancement that, that comes from that. But the, the, the Bible is clear, and this verse here in Hebrews is, I mean, it's just, it's just plain as day. It's, it's good for your heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have been no benefit to those who try to be benefited by them. But what is this grace? If our heart is to be strengthened by grace, I think it would be good for us to just think a little bit about what is this grace that strengthens our heart? And, you know, I was thinking about this. uh, Grace is not a, it's, it's, it's not a small thing, it's not a small concept, it's, it's an all-encompassing thing. <laughs> grace is the way God deals with us or treats us. God treats us or deals with us by grace or with grace. Someone defined it as uh, grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sins deserve. The essence of grace is that it is a gift. Grace is God's extravagant gift to you. Grace is God's extravagant gift of love and mercy. No matter that you don't deserve it, no matter that I don't deserve it, it's God's extravagant gift of love and mercy to you and to me. Paul said, of course, we are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. Grace encompasses everything that God has freely given us through Jesus Christ. God saved us from the coming wrath. He brought us salvation and life and healing for our souls by grace. The entire new covenant, which we spent some time in in the book of Hebrews, and which I just love, the entire new covenant is a covenant of grace. You are not under law, but you are under grace grace God promised to never again remember our sins God gave us a new heart with desire and ability to please him he's written his laws in our hearts God promised that he would be our God and that we would be his people God said that we would know him that we would all know him he gave us the special capacity in our hearts to know him and have direct personal acquaintance with him These these are the gracious gifts of the new covenant under which we live. Grace is God's approval and acceptance of us through Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus. We're made the children of God. We have access into God's presence and, and all of this privilege and status and Experience with God is freely ours through Jesus. But grace is, is also, is not just a principle or an idea or a, a way of working. Grace is also the power of God given to us through the Holy Spirit. Sam Storm said, grace is something God imparts or bestows or infuses into us to equip and empower us to live in accordance with his will. I love that. Paul said, grace is able, or I'm sorry, God. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's what grace is able to do for you. Isn't that amazing? God's able to make all grace abound to you. So you're sufficient for everything. Grace, grace enables us to do good work. I like that. Just amazing. So, so we can pray, God, give me, give me the grace to do this. You know, I prayed this morning, God, give me the grace to teach, to teach your word. Because without, without that, I can't do it. Grace gives us the capacity to do things. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I was made a minister according to the gift of grace. It was grace that made Paul a minister and made him able to be an apostle. And Jesus said, when you're weak, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. Notice the, the correlation between grace and power. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness. So when you, when you need strength to go on, when you need your heart strengthened, grace is an enabling power. God can give you grace in your heart so that you can carry on. Grace has been lavished upon us in the past, and yet we receive more grace when we need it today. There's grace for you here this morning, and there will be grace for you tomorrow. Uh, John Piper wrote a book called Future Grace. I read it many, many years ago, but his basic idea is that there will never come a day, there will never come a day in your life, there will never be a situation arise you will never be in any circumstance. You will never face a temptation or a loss or death or anything in life where God's grace is not there for you and where it is not enough. Grace is being given to me. In the book, it says, Grace is being given to me fresh and new for every new future challenge and need. And Hebrews communicates the same thing. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, it's great. Grace is a very very present saying that we, you can get grace right now for your time of need. This present work of gr- grace is, I, I believe, is what is communicated in the what I would call the grace blessings that you find in the New Testament. Grace be with you. Or a couple of times, which I love, it says, grace be with your spirit. This is, this is a blessing pronounced over you for the, for the imparting of God's grace to your heart right now. And it communicates that grace is available to you. Grace be with your spirit. Wow, what a beautiful thing to say to one another in the body of Christ. And it's not, it's not just a saying. I mean, It's a, it's a blessing. There's, there's an imparting. There's something that goes with that, that goes with those words. And it, something happens in your spirit. God communicates grace to you. So when your heart is weak or discouraged or overwhelmed, strengthen your heart on grace. Remind yourself of all you have in Jesus. Forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Strengthen your heart with the love of God poured into your heart. Strengthen your heart on the Holy Spirit given to you to be with you and in you forever. Remind yourself that you have a place in heaven reserved for you. And then go to his throne to receive more grace to help you in your present need. When you feel ashamed or guilty or condemned, feed your heart on grace. When you wake up at night or in the morning and feel alone or empty, nourish your heart on the grace of God. When you're anxious or fearful or depressed, strengthen your heart on the grace of God. Don't don't turn to some kind of outward ritual or legalistic practice. Don't turn to the world to help your heart. Um, As Sam Storms put it, eat grace. Eat grace. Nourish your heart on grace. Don't eat something else. Eat grace. (laughs) Those who finish strong are those who love God's grace and delight in God's grace and continually feed themselves upon grace. Let's pray.